just think about you Lord in this day as this being the day the God of our days that you've made and how we can worship you and give you praise and honor in this day and while it is still called day let us worship him and let us rejoice in it the scriptures tell us to rejoice always pray without ceasing and in all things give thanks for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus sometimes I wonder what's the will of God for me and there it is right there rejoice always pray without ceasing in all things give thanks and let us do that this morning as we celebrate the Lion of Judah who's roaring from heaven let him roar over you your life your situation 
It's the Lion of Judah roaring from heaven, showing his might, showing his power, and showing his dominion over you, showing his love over you and his grace. Thank you, Lord. You are the Lion of Judah.
I want to share with you a message that is entitled Overflowing in the Pit. Uh, but before I get to the message, I want to welcome you. You're at our home that the recording is taking place this morning. We are in isolation as a family. I've got three sons that has tested positive and the, the last ones tested positive on Tuesday. Uh, and therefore we are having to be in isolation and, uh, and I have to do this recording from home. So please forgive any lighting that's not as perfect or ambient noises that's not as great. Obviously this is not a studio, it's uh, outside of, at our home. And um, yeah, but I, I think we'll be fine and, and thank you for joining and, and just giving a bit of grace and allowance for that. Um, I want to, in today's message, talk about the power of dreams. And dreams can be very powerful things. I mean, we know this from the most famous dream statement, probably, which is Martin Luther King Jr.'s, I have a dream. Uh, 
And we know what effect it can have in the world when people have dreams. And we even know the power that dreams can have, uh, whether they just the real dreams that we have at night, you know, when we, when we sleep. Because there's many things in this world that actually came about because people had a dream. I don't know if you know this, that Paul McCartney's song that, uh, that he wrote in 1965, that uh, famous song yesterday, that he actually ha- heard the melody in a dream. And that's why he was able to write that song. Niels Bohr, the, the father of, um, of, the, of quantum mechanics, discovered and, and came to the realization of the structure of the atom in a dream one night. Um, Elias Howe, I don't know if you know his name, but he's the guy that invented the, 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 the needle for the sewing machine. And that came to him in a dream also that he discovered it. Even Albert Einstein um, uh, said that he had a dream that helped him to see and develop the theory of relativity. Um, there was a guy by the name of Frederick Banting, whose mother passed away from uh, diabetes, and he went searching for a cure. Couldn't find a cure, but he found a medicine, and from he developed insulin as an injection, and that was due to a dream. So dreams are powerful things, and they can have huge effect in our world and in our lives. And even in the Bible, it tells us that God can speak through dreams to us. Now, yes, God speaks to dreams, through dreams to us. But I don't think we must come to the place where we say every dream is necessarily the voice of God. Um, God uses dreams and there's many records in scripture. And we're going to look at probably the most famous, one of the most famous ones today. But I'm not of the persuasion that every dream we have has hidden meanings to it. Um, and, and I'm certainly not a person that's comfortable to go into, you know, all this dream interpretation stuff. Some of it really starts to border on the psychic for me. Um, so can we just agree today that God uses dreams to speak to us? And so we believe in dreams, but we, I, I don't know if I believe in dream interpretation uh, as we see it in so many books and teachings and lectures and things. But um, let's just say today, God does use dreams to speak to us, to make known to us things that he wants us to know. And uh, that's why we're going to go to the story of Joseph today. And Joseph, the, that was called the dreamer, this one of the most famous stories in the scripture about the, the effect dreams can have on somebody's life and a dream can have on somebody. And so I'm going to interchangeably use the concept of a dream as a, as a passion, as a pursuit, as a desire, as a vision, and dreams as the, the God speaking to us or, or awareness that we gain when we are at, asleep at night and through our dreams. And, and, and I want to say these are powerful forces that can be used in our lives. Um, and and it's, I, I think it's interesting and also important at a time like this to talk about this idea of dreams and the effect and power that dream has. There's about five studies being done in different parts of the world right now to test the effect that this pandemic and the lockdown that we are in as people all over the world is having on people's sleep patterns and in also in particular on how they dream and what they dream about. I mean, um, in, a, in an article in the National Geographic, they, they outline how some of these studies and what they're discovering. And uh, I think we all agree and we know that our dreams are powerful mechanisms in our psychology that helps our subconscious to process through some things of the past and of the present. And, uh, you know, it's hard to make sense of your dreams a lot of the time, but there's a lot of 
just awareness and processing that happens in our dreams. But what they are finding through these studies right now is that because of the greater stresses that we are involved in right now with, with dealing with a, a global pandemic, and also because people are locked down and therefore have less stimulus in their life, there seems to be a change in the way that people are dreaming and what they are dreaming about. They, some studies are showing that, um, that people have a greater recall of their dreams, up to 35% more, because you, you'll know that most of our dreams we don't remember. But they say up to 35% more of what people are dreaming about at the moment they remember. And they also say there seems to be a, that there's 15% more of their dreams that are, that are negative dreams or, you know, would go into the, the, the realm of nightmares. And because they, they believe in the lack of stimulus that we are having, or this is a theory, is that in the lack of stimulus we're having right now, because we're living confined lives, our brains are reaching back into our past and actually scratching some things up and digging some things up from the past and, and using this time to process through that. So it's very interesting. That, that dreams is a very normal phenomenon. Every one of us has it or, you know, 99.9% .9 of people have dreams and we, it's a daily reality in our lives. But the scripture tells us God speaks through dreams. And uh, the point I want to make for us today and, and sort of the, the main point of this talk, probably one of the main points would be that the most powerful dream is not the, just the dreams we have, but it's the dream that God gives us. The dreams that God give us, they are the powerful ones. They are the ones worth searching and looking out for. And they are the ones that will really have an impact and change on the world. And that we see in the story of Joseph, um, this young boy, and where we're going to pick up his story at the age of 17, that had a dream. And uh, so in th Genesis 37 from verse 5, I'm just going to read through some of the story and just make a couple of points. Obviously, this is an exhaustive story, the story of Joseph, uh, and we're not going to cover all of it, just some key points. Uh, in Genesis 37 verse 5, it says, Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. So Joseph had a dream and we know from scripture that this dream was a revelation from God. It was God beginning to make this young man aware of something that God is going to do in the future and something that we develop down the line. Now, the scripture doesn't tell us if Joseph was a particularly arrogant young man um, or whether he was just unwise. So, so I'm going to choose to be a bit more kind to him and just say he was unwise um, in how he dealt with the dream. I think it's clear for us to see that he made this dream about himself. He thought what he was becoming aware of is God's plan for him and he made it about his greatness. So there was a, a little bit of megalomania that set in you, a, a, a desire for power and a hunger for power that uh, rose up in his life. And, you know, um, it says here, the scriptures, that his brothers hated him all the more. So he already didn't have a great relationship with his brothers. Um, and we know that from the preceding uh, verses in verse um, two to four, it says, Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending to flocks with his brothers, the son of Bilhi and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. So first of all, they didn't like him because he was a tattletale. He, he would, he would, you know, go to his dad and tell on his brothers. And that separated him from them. 
because he had been born to him in his old age. That's originally what separated him from his brothers. He was a son that his father doted upon, that his father really loved and, and, and cared for more, and he favored more than his brothers because he was the son of his old age. And instead of Joseph managing this well, he now further separates himself by you know, being a tattletale. And, he, and then the third thing that happened that made his brothers really not like him and, and even hate him is that he, he made an ornate robe for him. So Jacob, his father, made an ornate robe for him. This, this technicolor dream coat of Joseph, as it's referred to. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. So I mean, his environment wasn't great. He was in a difficult space in terms of his relationship with his brothers. And he wasn't wise. He wasn't picking up at the age of 17 on the nuances of that and how to manage that. And he, through sharing his dreams, um, he just exacerbated it and made it a lot worse. In verse 8, uh, after he shared the dream with his brothers, his brothers said to him, Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he said. So they, they were like, man, this, this, this little, can we say, like in Afrikaans, we say, snotko. This little runt, he's like thinking he's so great. And, and they hated him. And this became the environment that Joseph, the dreamer, was growing up in. This animosity with his brothers, but being really loved by his father. In verse 9, we read that he had a second dream. Uh, then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told his, his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is the dream you, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I, your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. So he shared the second dream and this in a sense, made the situation worse to the point where his father had to correct him and had to say to him, listen, what you're doing is not right. But where his brother's response was inflamed by this and they, they, they added even more hatred and jealousy to, towards their dislike of him. The father did, however, it says to us, put this in his heart and thought, well, perhaps there's something to this. Uh, and he could recognize that Joseph wasn't being wise, but there could be something to the dream. So a realization was growing of something that God was going to do in the future. The problem is that Joseph thought the dream was about him, but the dream wasn't actually about him. He was just the instrument that God was going to use to do something that was very important to God. So I can say in a sense that God was sharing his dream with Joseph through Joseph's dreams. God was making to Joseph, known to Joseph and to others what he wanted to do uh, in the future. And, um, and we know that what he wanted to do was to save people. And that's why this dream of Joseph was so powerful because it expressed God's desire, God's dream. And God has a dream for you. God has a dream for me. God has desires for us. And he will make known his desires about about what he wants in this world to us and how we can play a part in it. You know, they, often people will say, you know, God has a plan for your life. I, I think the more correct way to say that is, is God has a plan and he's inviting you to be part of that. The, I don't think it's the focus is so much on God's individual plan for every person as it is that God has this big plan and we each as individuals can play a part in that 
big plan. And this is what God was saying to Joseph. I've got a plan. I'm going to be doing something in your lifetime. And I'm going to make you part of that plan. And so Joseph was becoming aware of that. In verse 17, we read the, how this hatred and animosity between Joseph and his brothers plays out. So Joseph went after his brothers. His father sent the brothers out and they were out in the field quite far away from home, uh, tending the flock and giving them space to graze. And eventually uh, the father sent Joseph off to go and find out how they're doing and give, come and bring him reports. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then you will see what comes of his dream. So they had a plan. They were going to kill him. They were going to get rid of him and get rid of this pain, this problem that they had, this, uh, this, this arrogant young person in their minds that were, that were thinking that he's better than them. And, and perhaps if they, he's out of the way, then, then the father would be you know, more loving towards all of them instead of focusing all of his love on, on Joseph. And you know, so there was this mentality uh, and they hatched this plan. But Reuben, one of the brothers, heard this uh, from verse 24. He tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into this cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him off his robe the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. And so Reuben said, no, no, we can't kill him, but we, let's, let's just, you know, throw him into the cistern. And, and it's a dry and dead cistern. He, he's going to die later, but at least he's not going to die by our hands. We're not going to have the blood of, of, of our brother on our hands, you know. Um, he'll, he'll just die of natural causes. But actually his plan was to go and save him. Now, I wonder if you remember what a cistern is. We spoke about it earlier in our series. A cistern was a man-made, man-carved out in, in soil or in rock um, hole that was to be a place where water could be stored. And often these cisterns would be, become out of use because they would crack or, or there would be no water in that area for the cistern to catch anymore. And uh, there would often be these empty cisterns that could be found in desolate places. And here, obviously, in the wilderness, in a desolate place, so there's no more people around, the cistern is no longer being used. And so they plan to throw Joseph in the cistern. Most of the cisterns in those days were a bit shaped like a bottle, in a sense that they had a very narrow entrance, and then it opened up into a bigger cavern. Uh, so once something fell in it, it would be almost impossible to get out of that cistern because the walls would be plastered and would generally be quite smooth. Um, uh, and then it, it, and you, how do you get from the bottom, which is like this bottle round shape, to get to the top to come out through this very narrow entrance? And so therefore, cisterns were often used as makeshift prisons. So they throw Joseph into the cistern and they are going to let him be there. And so you can think that how suddenly Joseph's life is taking a turn. I think of a 17-year-old boy on a journey looking for his brothers, you know, enjoying the freedom, enjoying just seeing the countryside, just having a great time. He's favored by his father. Life's looking good. There's a, you know, he's got a dream of some greatness that's in his future. And when he meets his brothers and this happens and they throw him at the cistern, instead of them bowing at his feet, he's now lying lower than their feet and in the cistern, a trap, a makeshift prison. But it was going to get worse than that even. Because we know how the story unfolds. 
in verse 25. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. The camels were loaded with spices, palm and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and lay, not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianites merchants came by, his, his brothers pulled Joseph out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. And we know how the rest of the story goes. I don't have time to unpack it, but we know from, from being sold into slavery, he was taken out of this makeshift prison that he was in, put in part of his house, but only to end up in a real prison. So this whole passage of his life that carries on right through until Genesis 39 is all about this period of time in Joseph's life where he's actually in a makeshift prison and then in a real prison. And it's the, he ends up in, you know, going to part of his house, then falsely accused, and that takes him to the king's prison where he spends the best years of his life, one can say. From around the age of late 17, perhaps 18, till about 30 years old, about 12 years, 12 of the prime years of a person's life. The time in a person's life where so much of the development happens that, that speaks into what your future can be. You know, it's the time, like in our situation today, it's the time of your education. It's the time of forming significant relationships. It's the time where you choose a wife. It's, the, it's such an important time. But instead of, you know, building towards this greatness that he was going to be and this great person that he was going to be, getting all the, the, the tools and the skills that he needed, he ends up in prison. And prison is definitely a dream killer. And here he is in prison. This dream, this thought that he had, this expectation that was given to him by God, that he was going to be somebody great, that others were going to bow to, now seems not only far away, but completely impossible. He is in prison. And you know, when you're in prison, your development goes behind. So all the other 18, 19 year olds of his day, they were all growing and developing and developing life and building a life. But he was stagnant. He was stuck in a prison, seemingly going nowhere, seemingly nothing happening. And the dream is being killed every day in the prison. The dream is crushed. It's never going to take place. The dream is not possible. But we know from reading the story, and obviously because we have seen the complete story, that while he was in prison and while he was in this difficult time in Potiphar's house, imprisoned in the king's prison, and that 12 years in prison, four times in chapter 39, which describes that period of his life, it says, but God was with Joseph. Now, I don't think he felt God was with him necessarily when he was in prison. When, when he was falsely accused and put into prison because Potiphar's wife wanted to seduce him. And he said, no, he did the right thing. He was innocent and yet he was put in prison. I don't think he felt God was with him. When he was in prison and, and left there, forgotten, I don't think he felt that God was with him. But the author writes the story and looking back on it tells us in four different occasions, is careful to say, but God was with Joseph. And the fact that God was with Joseph was visible to other people because the favor that he first enjoyed in, in Pharaoh's house, uh, in Potiphar's house, is said because God was with him. Then he became a trusted person in the prison and he, he looked after the, the main warden's um, you know, affairs and, and he was trusted. And the scripture says, because God was with him. So we know 
that God had a plan for Joseph. It might not have felt to him like that at that stage, but God had a purpose and a plan for him. And, and I want to say that to us today and, and use that to speak to every one of us to say, here we are. Life is difficult. We're in lockdown. I mean, not to the level of Joseph where he's literally locked away, but we are restricted. It may so easily feel like we are in a time that steals dreams. I know for a lot of our young people, you know, they're having to evaluate. It's so difficult. My own sons, uh, we're experiencing it as a family, how hard it is to keep their studies going. And, and the loss that they've had in terms of student life and having to go to class and be with other students that are in the same situation as they are and working and learning together, they've lost so much of that. Um, and, and, they, they, and I know a lot of young people are struggling and going, what is this new world and how do I prepare for it? And even older people, you know, businesses that have come to a standstill and careers and so much that people may feel this is a time like a prison or a, or a pit. It's a time where it kills dreams and dreams are not possible. And we actually have to give up on our dreams. But that's why the story of Joseph is so encouraging. Because God was with him in the midst of the present time. And I want to say to you, God is with you. God is with you right now. You may be finding it very difficult to see what God is doing. But this present time was a very important and absolutely necessity, absolute necessity for Joseph to go through as part of his story. He would not have gotten to where he needed to get if it wasn't for this time. This was a time where God was shaping him. God was working in his life. God was doing something in him that made the end of the story possible. And we're going to get there just now. So that it may feel like a time of huge loss, but God is working. God is with you. If you're a child of God, if you're a son of God, and if you can be intentional with this time and saying, Lord, I trust you. And just you, you may look back one day and say, wow, what amazing things God did during that time. And that time was such a necessity for what, what was ahead and what, what God, God's dream for me was. So let's keep our faith. Let's keep a, a sense of, of God and keep a perspective of God can do more than we could ever ask or think. More than we could ever think is possible is what God can do. And, and I want to tell a story that illustrates this point, perhaps a bit more of a modern story. I don't know how many of you have heard of Jennifer Bricker. Now, Jennifer Bricker was born in 1987 uh, to Romanian immigrant parents in the United States. And uh, when she was born, they, they just arrived from, from uh, Romania a, a while before that. And when she was born, she was born uh, with no legs completely just a birth defect, had no legs. And uh, this was a huge challenge for an immigrant family that, that didn't have much income that, you know, they, she was born in like charity hospitals and they had to, and, and so the doctors told them when she was born that she's going to be a, a challenge for them. She's going to need medical care and it's going to be difficult. And so the father made a decision, didn't tell the mother about this. He made a decision at that point to give Jennifer up for adoption. And uh, so they gave her up for adoption and she lost her contact and, you know, life with her biological parents. She was, however, adopted then by the Brickers. And the Brickers took this little child with no legs, this girl, and um, they, start, as they adopted her, started looking for help for her. And they went to doctors and the first set of doctors they went to said to them that she is going to struggle and she's going to have lots of needs in terms of her medical uh, costs and she'd probably never be able to sit upright and life's going to be difficult. Uh, but they 
didn't accept this. And they went to a second set of doctors. And the second set of doctors gave a different report. And they said, look, this child um, is going to do things that are going to astound you. This child is going to be something remarkable and be someone remarkable that's going to have an impact on the world. And they started working with these doctors. And they had an attitude that said, that uh, this child is a beautiful and special child. And in fact, later on, uh, when Jennifer talks about her parents and, and how they raised her, they said, uh, I w we were taught and I was taught to not say I can't. Um, and as a child, I, she was very active in sports. And, um, and the parents told her that she can do what she, what she puts her mind to. And, and they said to her, there's no such thing as you can't do it. They, they actually taught her that... Um, uh, you, that, and they said this to her. This is a quote that she gave. She said, my parents said that you were born this way for a reason. It wasn't an accident. It was on purpose. So they instilled in her a sense of there's a purpose to your life. There's a purpose that you are living for. And, um, and don't let this stop you. And, and they encouraged her and they gave her what she needed. They were really there for her. And she talks very highly of it. And this resulted that at the age of 11, uh, she actually won the power tumbling championship in her state in Illinois and then eventually went on and took fourth place in the junior Olympics um, as, a, as a gymnast. And uh, because what happened is uh, when she was growing up and she loved being active in sports, she developed a, a, a person that she really believed uh, and that she, she liked uh, very much and that became her idol. Uh, a lady by the name of, sorry, now I've forgotten her, uh, her first name's, I think, Dominique uh, Masiena. And uh, she, this lady became her idol and inspired her. And she was the 1996 champion in the Olympic Games and um, uh, a gymnast. And uh, so this was her idol that inspired her. And because of that, she then decided to become a gymnast herself. And this resulted in this amazing thing that she be fourth in the Junior Olympics, a lady with no legs. But there's more to the story, as they say. It's not all. There's even more something amazing than this achievement, this positive attitude that this girl had. At the age of 16, she found out that this lady that she idolized was actually her sister. That the, her parents that gave her up was the parents of this, this Olympic gymnast champion. And so she took four years to gather all the evidence that she could. And at the age of 20, she made contact with this this lady and she sent her package with all the information and evidence that she's her sister and uh, and this was so compelling that uh, uh, this lady then went and contacted with her and they met and surely it was true that she was her sister and so these two sisters were reunited uh, by that time the the father that and the mother that gave the uh, uh, Jennifer up for adoption was already then old and the father was actually very ill and so, uh, and he died quite soon after this. And, uh, but it's as they started journeying together as sisters now that she heard the story of, of this, this champion, uh, this Olympic gymnastic champion, and what her life was like growing up in this with her Romanian parents. You see, the Romanian parents were, were great gymnasts themselves. So from when she was little, they tested her to make sure that she could be a great gymnast. And it was revealed later that particularly the father was actually quite abusive and in how he trained and treated this young girl to become a, a gymnast and forced her and pushed her. And uh, their relationship became really strained. And obviously, at this point, when, 
uh, when it came out that they've given up this girl and was confronted with this by their daughter, the, 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 the parents found it really difficult, and particularly the mother, because she didn't have a decision to give up this child. Uh, it was a decision made by the father. It became quite a very difficult family situation. But in the interview, if you listen to an interview of the two sisters talking together, they say, but we believe in forgiveness. When we spoke about last week. And that has led to a, a situation where the father had passed away, but they forgave. And with the mother, they have been building and restoring a relationship and restoring as a family. And the recognition is that, and they say, both of them say, the best thing that could have happened to Jennifer was that she was raised by her adoptive parents that gave her the support they needed. She wouldn't have had a, that same in the original family that she grew up in. And I know these situations are so complex, but it can look for us so easily, like in this situation, that things are falling apart, that there's no plan, there's no purpose, there's no hope in anything. But I want to say to you, like with Joseph, God is with you. God is with you. Because we know how the Joseph story ends. And we see the culmination in a, in a fantastic verse in Genesis 50 and verse 20. Where Joseph now met his brothers. Remember, they, they were going through famine. The whole world was going through famine. By this time, God had removed Joseph through dreams and a series of dreams that other people were having. And his ability to, to interpret the dreams um, he was moved from prison and actually eventually became the second most powerful person in Egypt. And he was given the task to, uh, to, to, to collect food for this expected, through the dream that the Pharaoh had, that this expected famine that was going to come. So he built storehouses. He had this massive project that he did. And because he was so successful in it, it became the way that God provided for many of the nations of the world, not only Egypt, but the nations around could all come to Egypt and get food. And so on a particular day, the brothers of, of Joseph arrive in Egypt to ask for food. And they end up, and the, and the dream is fulfilled, bowing before Joseph, who they don't recognize, to get food. And a whole series of events unfolds until he eventually reveals himself to them. And there's a family reunification that takes place. There's a restoration of a family that begins to take place. But it's possible because Joseph, through his journey in the prison, had that megalomania knocked out of him. And God shaped him. And because God was with him, God was working with him. And he came to a place where he could make this statement in Genesis 50 verse 20. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. To accomplish what is now being done. The saving of many lives. This was God's dream all along. Was to save lives. To save many lives. To, to give a, a, an opportunity for salvation for the people of the world that was going through a famine. And this obviously was a story that, that has many connections and, and foreshadowings to the greater story of Jesus. And Jesus that would be imprisoned, but that would rise again. And Jesus that would become the Savior. Because this is God's dream for, for us, is that to save mankind. And, and the story of this, in the scripture of the kingdom of God, that's an expression of God's dream. To, for God to be with His people and them to be His people. And, and, and to have that relationship where His order and His way of life is established and reestablished on earth. This is God's dream that all men may be saved. And he shared that dream with Joseph. Joseph thought it was about him. But this wasn't about him. This was about God's dream. But here in Genesis 50, when he's now with his brothers and he reveals himself to them. And instead of then enacting revenge upon them, because he had the power to do that. 
had the ways, the means, and the motivation, some would say. He says, you thought you were going to kill the dream. But God used this so that the dream could come true. Without all of this, the dream wouldn't have come true. And he takes such a high view. And he takes such a place of, of the lordship of God that he trusts God, which leads to not only a family being restored, but the nation of Israel to be able to develop into the place where God wanted them to develop. God is at work. God is busy. God was busy in the life of Joseph. You may be going through some things that are difficult and that you feel is intended to harm you. The pandemic is intended to harm the world. It's, it's a way that destroys, that takes lives. I mean, right now in our third wave, we're seeing so many lives lost, so many people being affected. And again, we're having to talk about stricter regulations and, and the effect that that'll have on livelihoods. And, and, and even in your personal space, there may be things going on that you feel this is intended to harm me. But I want to encourage you, stand up in faith and trust God. God is with you. Even while you may not understand completely and know exactly what's going on, God is with you. And keep moving forward in God. Keep trusting in Him. Because then if we move with God as He shares His dreams with us, and as we align our lives with His dream, because you see, every dream needs a person that will not only have the dream, but that will live for the dream. And that's what Joseph had to learn. The easy part was getting the dream. The difficult part was actually living for that dream, making the sacrifices that required, being adjusted to fit in with the dream. And that's what's going on with each of us. As God shares his dream with us that, and how we can be part of his dream and what, how his dream will shape our lives, there's an adjustment, there's a moving that has to happen. And as we do that, as we are being discipled by God and as we follow him in every area and every space of our life and make everything about him and learn to submit to his lordship and, and love him all the more. The more we're being shaped to that dream and that dream will give definition to our lives and we become part of this great story. And right now, God is busy with you. His hand is upon you. He's close to you. Don't let your heart become hardened and bitter like we spoke about last week. Don't turn away. Don't give up on the dream. Don't let the prison... Or the pit kill the dream. But let there be overflow that comes out of the pit. Because the pit doesn't define our lives. It's God's dream that defines our lives. Your restrictions don't define your life. It's God's thoughts that define your life. That's why we live by faith. That's what we have in common with the people of Hebrews 11. The list of people of faith. They were not defined by their time. They were not defined by their struggles. They were defined by their faith. How they rose up and said, despite all of this, I believe what God can do. I believe in what God has said. I believe that God has a plan. And, and I will discover that plan and I will follow that plan. And I will give my life for that plan. Don't let this time be a dream killer, but allow the Spirit of God to bring overflow in, in whatever pit you are, that there would be a flood of life that will come from that because of the rivers of loving water that is within us. So I want to pray with you. Can I pray with you right now that there would be an encouragement in your spirit, that there would be a strengthening in your spirit, that there'd be a rising in your spirit, and that we would be the peep, the dream carriers. And the dreamers, like it was said of Joseph, his brothers mocked him and they said, here comes the dreamer. In the Hebrew, it actually says, here comes the master dreamer. They mocked him. But can you and I become master dreamers that live out the dream of God? I want to pray with you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you in Jesus' name that you have a dream, 
that you've made known your dream to us, that it is to see your kingdom come on earth and it is for all people to know you and to be saved. And Father, we thank you that you've invited us and you've given us the space and the opportunity and the calling to be part of your dream. That every one of us, we are your disciples, Lord, that go and make disciples, that go and share the kingdom story with this world, that tells our dream of the kingdom, this, this amazing dream that we have of a place where God rules and where life is without pain and sorrow. Uh, and and in order we have this dream and that we have the opportunity and the privilege to share this compelling dream with others Lord thank you for that and I pray Lord that as right now so many of us are in times of restriction and difficulty that that the dream will not be killed within us but that the dream will be shaped and that our lives will be shaped according to the dreams and so that your dream can become to pass and that that our mouths will be filled with laughter, as the psalm says, because we've seen the goodness of the Lord and we've experienced the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And I pray for any person right now that feels discouraged, that feels trapped, that they are in a pit or in a prison. And I pray right now that they would sense your spirit with them, your presence with them, and that they would be an, a knowing that you are with them that they will turn to you and seek you and that their lives will be defined by their faith in who you are and your promises and not by the restrictions and not by the, the, the pit, the dream killers of this world. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for letting me be with you today and sharing with you. May the Lord bless you. And uh, please look after yourself, stay safe, be responsible, but follow the dream of God for your life and in your life. Bless you.